Hey guys, it's Keith. This is part three of my California general election ballot for November 2022. This midterm election I'm going through in part one, I went through all the propositions. In part two, I went through mostly my local stuff, trying to keep it broad and philosophical so that it's relatable for everybody. And this is part three where I'll go through the California candidates running for state office, essentially. I've been sort of picking and choosing what I'm focusing on here because this ballot is just way too long and quite dense and confusing. For instance, I skipped the uh, Los Angeles Community College Board of Trustees. You know, there's like 15 candidates running for four positions, and I just thought I can't bother with this. But I will probably do my due diligence before submitting my ballot officially because I, you know, I'm probably going to abstain if I can't really make sense of something. But I'd rather make informed decisions every chance I get and prevent not doing something where I would like to have done something. And for instance, if you take education, it's a topic I care about. Um, there's a lot of ideological poison going on in the world right now, and I would like to prevent people that are toxic from holding office in a regressive way. So I might go and like check that out again, but. We're going to try and move forward, and I'm going to keep this sort of broad philosophy, this political philosophy I have as a citizen of freedom and liberty, individual liberty, as well as government efficiency and a respect for the commons, because it's, governments is really all about how we can get along and live with each other in the best way possible and to flourish as a society. And that's what this is about. That is what this is about. So... I've really lost respect for political parties. I'm not affiliated. I'm an independent voter. And I spoke last time about how I'm not committed to even voting for the leftist person, the person more left than the other, because I think that the left goes too far. I think the left is going too far as we speak in a lot of ways, um, including with that education thing, like teaching that there's no difference between the sexes, for instance. Like, I don't want that enshrined in California law for public schools, that would be a disaster. I would rather vote for a Republican to prevent that. But I don't want abortion to be threatened in California, so then I have to be careful about voting for a Republican. That said, I'm quite <laughs> secure in the fact that abortion is going to become codified into California law and that, that Republicans don't have enough power in the state to change that. Right, so I feel more comfortable with that. Whereas with the elect, with the education stuff, it's very tenuous, and Democrats and you know, far right progressives have so much power that maybe it's worth checking those balances. That's kind of my mindset going into this, um, but I want to take a step back and just kind of go over my another broad, overarching philosophy I have in terms of how we kind of proportion representation, how we feel heard, and how these systems kind of work. I spoke yesterday a bit about gerrymandering, which might not have been the most fair word to use in California because gerrymandering implies this political bias. Um, there is political bias here, to be sure, but it's not like the Democrats are really fighting Republicans. You know, this is just such a Democratic state. There are more Republican conservative parts of the state. Um, you know, I have a lot to say here. I'm not sure how much to say. I'm going to just touch on a few things. This state is too big geographically. 
the population centers are really clear to define. The Southland, um, which is Los Angeles, broadly speaking, uh, it's 17 and a half million people. Um, let me try and contextualize some numbers for you guys real fast. So planet Earth, <laughs> planet Earth has 7.8 billion people. That's a ton. Um, the U.S. is only like plus Canada is only 4.75% of Earth. I combine those two to define North America as like this clearly clearly distinct cultural region of the world that shares a lot of its culture with the rest of the West, which is Europe, Australia, New Zealand, maybe South Africa, maybe Israel. You know, this is like the Occidental world that we live in, the West. People that believe in individual liberties, essentially, and the Enlightenment values that we kind of take for granted. That's not most of the world. That's just like our part of the world, which is probably like 10% of the world. If I was to try and add up the populations of all those places, uh, I think North America represents about half of it. And within North America, California represents about a tenth of that, a little more than that. So California has 40 million people. So that's 12% of the U.S. And that's pretty fairly uh, represented in the U.S. House of Representatives, which is the other half of this the, of Congress. I spoke about the Senate before, which has 100 people, two from each state, which is highly unfair for a place like California. Whereas like the Dakotas have four senators, California has two. You know, it makes no sense. It's a, not a good system. It would be a better system if lines were drawn better to define states. You know, like if we could have, I've made this map, I should share this on YouTube at some point. I've made this map to more accurately reflect what North America really looks like. And it gives autonomy to New England and it gives autonomy to Southern Florida and it gives autonomy to Dixieland and Canada. You know, it's kind of its own nation. It's not just one though either. It has Quebec, the French speaking part, and then it has, uh, you know, east of there, I would, I would lump those things like Newfoundland into New England. Uh, Vancouver and British Columbia on the far west side of the country is much more akin with Seattle and Portland. That's really Cascadia. That's a nation. So these boundaries that we have, you know, the line that just bisects the continent on this 40th parallel or 39th parallel, it's really silly and arbitrary to me. It has a historical basis, obviously, but I don't respect that anymore. So all this to say, like, it matters. It matters because here we are trying to govern ourselves and it's unclear what we're working with and who we have to work with, you know? So LA County is but one of four counties in the Southland. And I'm saying the Southland because it's just, I don't know, somehow the easiest to say greater. It's like greater Los Angeles. Orange County is 3.1 million people. Riverside County is two and a half million people. San Bernardino County is two million people. These are four of the five biggest counties in the state by far, by far. LA County being easily the biggest at 9.8 million people. And, you know, it's really quite, quite insane how big that is versus, you know, all of the Bay Area. All of the Bay Area is 7.5 million people. And that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine counties. The Bay Area has nine counties, you know, 11 if you're being really generous. And it's like, this is smaller than LA County. It's really smaller than LA City or just greater LA as a city. Um, 
anyways, I'll try and bring it back because I know not everyone is super, super interested in these numbers, but just when people think of LA and they think of how big and sprawling this city is, that's really talking about 17 and a half million people. And again, California is 40 million. If you talk of just Southern California, so you'll add San Diego County, the second biggest at, third, at like 3.2 million, and then Ventura and Santa Barbara, you're at 22.2 million people. So more than half the state lives in just this small uh, Southern California area. Okay, um, I situate myself in there, you know, and I just think it's important for we all, for us all to kind of understand how we fit into the world. And we are all individuals. We all fit into our own homes, basically. And we are indivisible as individual people. And I just think that that autonomy has to be respected and that it scales up so that houses can't be div divided with borders and lines, even though that is somehow the case between Belgium and the Netherlands, which is really insane and shows kind of the the silliness of those two countries being separated, um, or that people group anyway, the Dutch there. Um, anyways, coming back down to the election, I, I'm just getting into this because I'm looking at how silly the lines are that are drawn around my neighborhood and how I have a council member in District 13, and that council line draw, runs through my neighborhood. I have um, a state senator and a state assembly person. Those districts run pretty close to the borders of my neighborhood, but they also don't totally respect them. And then the House of Representatives for the US, similar. District 30 is not specifically acknowledging the integrity of my neighborhood. My neighborhood being Silver Lake, Echo Park, I live on this border because those two neighborhoods are also indistinct and somewhat indistinguishable from one another. That boundary line is not clear. And it's really part of this greater neighborhood that I call Edendale. It's a historic name. People don't really use it anymore, unfortunately. It includes Los Feliz and, you know, parts of Griffith Park. Uh, pardon my texts. Um, and I just wish that this concept of Edendale was acknowledged and respected, to be honest, because I know who lives in my neighborhood. I know kind of where the freeways draw the boundaries around it. It's very natural in terms of the landscape, you know, the man-made landscape. And it just, it's clear and easy to think about a neighborhood with, you know, the central business districts and the through streets and the highways that cut through them or maybe define them. And I just wish that people that drew these kind of lines understood that. LA County is huge and it concludes part of the desert. That shouldn't even be California. It should be part of Arizona or Nevada. Um, and yet, you know, LA County ends <laughs> at this really arbitrary place between Orange County and LA County. Like there's no clear line, you know, it's just sprawl the whole time and yet there's somehow some line there and yet the county includes all these mountains where there's nobody and then starting again with Lancaster and Palmdale as cities I mean it's just really dumb it's just really dumb and I have to say that because quite frankly if I was in governance this would be something I was passionate about and tackling you know to properly acknowledge the autonomy of places and people groups all right, now that I have that off my chest, I can actually start to get into some of this stuff. 
Um, I spoke last time about my state senator and state assembly person. There's 40 state senators, so one for every million people or so. And then there's 80 assembly people. So it's like akin to the House of Representatives on the, on the um, federal level. And I was kind of oscillating between all of these Hispanic women. Um, I don't think I spoke the most eloquently when getting into that, and I still haven't exactly made up my mind, but I do want to refer to it now because there are the more conservative candidates running against the more progressive candidates. And I'm mentioning it because I am guided these days by balance, and I think that California is too progressive, to be frank. And it suits me as a as an individual. I live a progressive lifestyle. I'm a very liberal-minded person, fundamentally and characteristically. But I do like to feel safe and secure, and I do like the status quo by and large in terms of the way we live as people. And I'm really offended by certain parts of our current status quo, like homelessness and the rising crime. These things offend me and bother me. And as a citizen and as a voter, I want people that deal with that. I don't want people to, to ignore that. So as, as liberal as I am, I'm looking now for candidates that might bring some order to things because we because things feel too chaotic these days, you know? And I just wanted to highlight those state senator and assembly people because when I'm looking back at that and finally making my tally, I'll be considering that. That said, you know, I voted for Alex Padilla for U.S. Senate. He's our Democratic representative, our senator, junior senator right now. And I want him to stay there because to reiterate what I said before, on a federal level, like the bigger we get, the more liberal I become. I definitely don't want Donald Trump, for instance, to win the presidency. I don't know if Joe Biden will run again. I have no idea who the Dems will put out there. The Democratic Party sucks. I've made that clear. But I, I think a lot of what fuels somebody like Donald Trump is how stupid the Democrats are being on a variety of topics. And I would rather self-correct that than let it run amok and turn off so many swing voters and make them vote conservative just because them say stuff like there's no difference between this biological sexes or biological sex doesn't exist. You know, like if you hear a candidate say that on their Twitter or something, you are turning off a swing voter. Even if that swing voter wants universal health care or debt forgiveness for their college educations, you know, the, the cultural stuff is so strong, you guys, that I think it will push away a lot of like sane people that would easily be your ally. And I am that kind of person. So this ballot might be a demonstration of me becoming alienated by Democrats because I'm not going to vote down the Democratic line. And I don't think anybody should just vote down the line of a party because parties aren't to be trusted. It's not possible to bring together all of your disparate thoughts and feelings and beliefs on a wide variety of topics from abortion to gun control to immigration policy to you know infrastructure development to education reform like you can't summarize someone's beliefs just by hearing one of them and yet because of parties political parties we do that we do that 
And I, you know, I think I'm just so sensitive to it because I'll say something like this trans activist agenda is out of hand. And because a Trump supporter says that, somebody will think that I'm a Trump supporter as if they could discern my opinion on abortion from that statement about trans activism. You know, you can't know what I think about abortion based on what I think about the trans activist thing. I'm pro-choice. I don't want Republicans on a federal level outlawing abortion. I feel much more at ease in California because we're going to become a sanctuary state for abortion, quite frankly. And I don't think the people running for office can threaten that, to be honest. So let's go through those people running for office. And let's start at the top with our governor, Gavin Newsom. Uh, he's being challenged by a guy called Brian Dolly, a Republican farmer guy who has some history in California politics. And I was watching their debate and I was just really turned off, frankly, by both of them. I will probably abstain from this vote because I do not like Gavin Newsom for a few reasons. I do like him for other reasons. I think he's dashing. I think he's charismatic, sort of. Like, I think he looks good. <laughs> I think he has good hair. Uh, if I could just vote for a candidate's hair, I would vote for Gavin Newsom. But, you know, living in L.A. for the last couple of years, having a home here, I have really resented his attitude about COVID measures and lockdowns. And he was in the debate, he's just throwing around this phrase, trusting the science, you know, like that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean a damn thing at this point to say that. Science is not something to trust. Science is a, pro a procedure to follow. Science involves hypotheses, experimentation, testing, and results, and analyzing those results. That's not what we're doing with COVID. That's not what we're doing with our, you know, with our masking policies or our, you know, right now there's this moratorium on evictions. It's like, it sounds good. It's this progressive plan to prevent people from going homeless during the pandemic. Like who wouldn't like that? Well, mom, mom and pop uh, landlords who get by through renting out their properties, which is by and large the majority of landlords. If you can just say, oh, well, the tenant doesn't have to pay rent anymore because covid at least prove why that can be the case at least prove it like fair enough i have sympathy for someone that can't you know some random let's say nurse who you know gets covid and gets really sick and can't work anymore and then can't pay rent or something like i can think of that hypothetical person i can also think of the hypothetical person that scams the system and just says oh great now there's a moratorium on rent i won't pay rent and you know what? I can even relate to that person. But there should not, there should be a safeguard against that person skating through, you know, because they affect other people, like those landlords who are not all these evil corporations. Anyways, all this to say that Newsom has said a lot of things, and a lot of them being hypocritical, like with masking and then going out to dinners with him with his friends without masking. Like I think he does prove that this is an individual matter and people have to make their own de decisions based on how they feel. And yet he doesn't he doesn't preach that. He practices it, but then he preaches this sort of collectivist let's all be as safe as possible so as to prevent, you know, deaths of our old our elderly or something like that. I don't like that messaging at all. 
I don't like that he wants to continue this moratorium or continue mask mandates or continue anything about COVID at all. Like, COVID's done. It's gone. It's the flu. Do you want to shut down businesses because of the flu every year? So he was going on about that in his debate. Um, he was going on about abortion in his debate um, because his his uh, challenger, Brian Dolly, is conservative and he's a pro-life guy. And I don't respect that. I respect it, but I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't vote for it. But also, and the moderators called him out on it, like how in danger is it that California becomes pro-life? There's no chance. Brian Dolly knows that. He might personally be Christian and pro-life, but he's not going to become a tyrant in California and outlaw abortion. There's no chance of him doing that. So, you know, it gives me pause. Like, Brian Dolly has some, you know, he didn't really impress me intellectually, but it could be that he was on the spot speaking publicly. But it's possible that a Republican politician could challenge a Democratic governor in California and impress me and win because California's a mess and the Democrats have done that. So I'm looking at pragmatic results. I don't actually see it from either of these guys. As impressive as Newsom might be on the on the you know federal stage on the national level, he's not impressive to me as a governor. He's done a lot of stupid things. I don't really trust the Democratic Party, which he's basically running. Uh, he's also voting no against that billionaire tax, the tax to um, fund an electric vehicle fleet and infrastructure, the Proposition 30. He's against that because he's a millionaire guy, so he doesn't want to pay for that. I mean, I don't really like a lot of what he says. Um, but, you know, this is kind of like the lesser of two evils. And quite frankly, I just would rather abstain from either of these guys because they're both... Um, they both turn me off, <laughs> quite frankly. So moving to the lieutenant governor, this is kind of like the vice president of California. There are two women running, Eleni Kunalakis, who's running for re-election, and Angela Underwood-Jacobs. You know, I went to Eleni's website to check her out and see what she's standing for, and this was also just really unimpressive because it's like, you want to see, like, some policy thing, some passionate thing, you know, and her, the header on her site, Eleni Kunalakis, Lieutenant Governor, the tabs to click on are meet Eleni, endorsements, and in the news. Now, she does have issues on here, which is nice, but before getting to that, just scrolling through it, realize California's first woman Lieutenant Governor. Donate, volunteer, endorse, support the campaign, join Eleni paid for by re-elect Eleni. Like, that's all it's saying. Um, it's playing up her womanhood, which I think is, like, identity politics, which I don't like. And then it's just, like, it's all this stuff of, like, how to help her campaign. Now, someone like me, I'm going to go to the issues button, which is luckily not too buried. Um, she's fought against proposed tuition increases for the UC and CSU systems. Fine. Um... 30,000 new beds to public colleges, fine. Economic growth, Eleni championed support for small businesses during the pandemic and led multiple trade delegations around the world to protect workers, create more jobs, and boost California's economy. That sounds like it's trying to say everything. You can't really support small businesses during the pandemic under Newsom, who like basically closed down businesses. Um, 
you know, curfews and um, distancing and stuff don't really support businesses. Um, protecting workers, like you can't, especially with COVID, you can't protect workers and support businesses at the same time unless you're giving out money to the businesses, which I don't think they did. Climate justice. Eleni led advocacy efforts to clean up California's polluted rivers, returned 72 typo here, 72,000 acres of offshore land to the California Coastal Sanctuary. Fine. Fight for equality. Eleni advocated for new laws protecting women from sexual harassment and is a vocal defender of a woman's right to choose. Fine. Um, you know, it's just she clearly likes being a politician and she wants to keep rising up. And that kind of grosses me out a bit. You know, she doesn't seem like a bad person. Her stances are totally anodyne run-of-the-mill, you know, liberal politics. Um, she's just not that impressive to me either. Her challenger is another woman who, you know, at the end of the day, you have to think about this idea of, like, changing horses midstream, you know, like, getting new... Like, there's, like, this double-edged sword of getting new blood into an office. You know, they have to, like, get acquainted with it again. They have to, like, meet everybody and figure out how they're going to, like you know, politicize, like, you know, glad, like, what do I want to say? Like, you have to meet all of the people you're going to work with and how, like, what kind of factions and teams you're going to make up and all this. And it can slow things down to do that. You know what I mean? Angela Underwood Jacobs, um, let's restore integrity to California. Join the team. So she has her priorities right here on her front page, which I like. Lower taxes, improve public safety, reduce homelessness, address the water crisis, Reform our unemployment system, fix the housing crisis, make government work, putting kids and parents first, and all these have pull downs. You know, these are good. These are good things to be talking about. Eleni did not address homelessness or the water crisis in her on her website. You know, and this person does. Now, that's not to say that this person can do it. That's not to say anything of their qualifications or their ability as leaders. You know, I don't know that. Um, but the fact that this person says we must pass reforms to truly solve homelessness, providing help to those in need necessary, is necessary, however, if individuals are unwilling to take the help offered, we cannot let them ruin parks, sensitive ecological areas, and public areas like streets. I agree. That's, I mean, I, I don't like that this is only a Republican talking point. It should be a non-biased, non non-partisan talking point. Um the water crisis. California has bro a broken water system, failing infrastructure, expensive cost of service, and poor policies have led to a situation where California is facing unprecedented cost increases and limited availability. Yeah. You know? Now, it's it's tough. I, I don't know if I'm seeing enough here to convince me to vote for Angela Underwood Jacobs. I don't think the lieutenant governor does too much. I think it's largely symbolic. But maybe like these kind of like more like tough, quote, conservative ideas are better in a symbolic place and to combat a bit of California's excessive progressiveness or regressiveness, as the case may be. I don't know. You know, this is tricky for me. You know, like I was saying, like I voted for Alex Padilla for junior senator on the federal level here because I do want... California to be left of center of U.S. politics. I think that's important. And 
its representatives are the biggest example of that. So it's two senators and it's 52 House representatives, um, one of which is mine. I do find value in voting Democrat for those seats because on a national level, I think that the Republican agenda is quite evil, frankly, by and large. Um, but, you know, it's like evilness versus stupidity. That's kind of what this feels like to me as a as a voter, as an independent voter in two-party system. It feels often like that. Now, Angela Underwood-Jacobs does not look evil. She's saying the right things. Um, they're generic things. I mean, it's a website, you know. I'm, I haven't watched videos about her. I haven't found a debate between these two. Um, but, you know, I guess I'm just throwing it out there. Like, I think I see both sides of this. Um, I think it's clear the side I see for her. Like, I like a little more conservativeness in California's governance. I think it's kind of necessary to balance out how far we've gone with the progressive agenda and how fucked up this state is with homelessness, with water, with housing prices, with um, its treatment of big business and how big businesses like Tesla are leaving the state, you know? I mean... There's a lot of problems with this state, and I just don't think that Democrats have the answer. So, you know, I am becoming a little more sympathetic to conservatives in this state for that reason. And yet that said, California is big, and it does need a sort of um, group effort to be, how do I put this, collectivist-minded, I suppose, Um as much as I despise collectivist thinking like communism, you know, it's hard to it's hard to make a city like LA function, like New York function, without it, which is why cities are more liberal, more progressive, you know, than rural places where it's like rugged individualism. And I guess I do I guess I feel like a rugged individualist living in a big city, a big collectivist city. That's how I feel. That's how I identify, I suppose. And because I'm aware of that and because I understand how cities work and how we have to cooperate, I'm sensitive about putting in, for instance, a Republican lieutenant governor for Newsom to work with. You know, part of that kind of excites me. I, but, you know, that gets into the inner workings of how these offices really function together and how things get done. And as much as I'm researching this stuff, I just don't know. I'm not a civics professor. You know, I'm not... I didn't study government um, or politics as a major. I'm coming at this philosophically. So I guess for this one, I might lean for Elena, the incumbent, because it's just, it's easier to do that. Um, but I, I don't have strong reasons to do it. It's just because I think it makes sense to have like a harmonious team at the top. I guess that's kind of my philosophy on that. It's, it's important to have a harmonious team um, it's almost like, you know, in this country, we used to say that when running for president, the second place person became vice president. And you would have this kind of natural conflict between like a a Democrat and Republican or like a Whig, a Tory and Whig or whatever. Um, and maybe that was good. I don't know. I would actually like to research that. Like how successful was John Adams when he had to work with so-and-so under him who dis disagreed? You know, I mean... A lot of what made this country is this kind of like debated spirit between 
you know, Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton on federal banking, right? And you have this kind of outcome of checks and balances that by and large works. It's a pretty, it's a pretty uh, formidable, indestructible system. We have people that stress test it like Donald Trump and we seem to be okay, you know? So I kind of like the spirit of that, which maybe pushes me more toward Angela Underwood Jacobs, but maybe I want to watch her talk. You know, she doesn't look the brightest, <laughs> you know, that's my like judgmental take just like by sizing her up and down real fast. Um, I don't know. This is why voting gets hard and why people just would rather vote party lines down the line. But Angela Jacobs versus Eleni Kunalakis is another one where I'm a little undecided and would rather almost abstain. Um, not what you guys are coming here for, but I guess, you know, right now I'm 60-40 toward the Democrat on that one. All right. I don't know if you can tell I'm getting a little exasperated from this process, but um, I'm committed to it. I'm going to refer back to the websites, um, LAist in partnership with calmatters.org. They have a good like summary of each one of these positions um, and a description of each of the candidates. And they even have a little quiz that I'm going to actually start taking for you guys to talk some of this out. Not that these are perfect quizzes at all, mind you. The next one is Secretary of State. So as an example, this is... Uh, they summarize the position, the perfect role for a details-oriented administrator with a penchant for good record-keeping, a passion for drama-free election administration, and an exceedingly flexible schedule every other November. Goes through the qualifications, goes through the salary, about the hiring process, and then the applicants. Robert Bernoski, who's the chief financial officer, and uh, Shirley Weber, who's the appointed California Secretary of State incumbent. And I've taken this already. It tells me that I do agree with Shirley on three out of the five, but let's take this again. Other than fair elections, what's your top priority for the job? Expand voter access and participation or clean up voter rolls and better customer service? Um, don't really care, to be honest. Um, Shirley's is the first, expand voter access. She says she wants to raise the percentage of Californians who are registered to vote and then vote. Totally fair. I like it. Uh, the cleanup voter rolls thing. Bernoski says he wants to seal any opportunities from for sloppiness and nefariousness, and wants the office to become more customer focused. Uh, I don't really know what that means. Customer focused. Yes, I. You know, I identify as a customer, as a consumer, and as a citizen. And I. I mentioned this in the proposition discussion where it's like, nurses are you. The unions represent you. Don't you want teachers to have good work? Da da da. It's like, no, I don't care about teachers and nurses any more than I care about CEOs and businessmen, you know, their jobs. And I maybe can appreciate and interface and relate more with nurses and teachers, but they have their own agendas, you know, they're special interest groups onto themselves. I'm a customer. I'm a student. I'm a parent of a student. I'm a, you know what I mean? Like I'm a patient. That's how I see the world, not through like your job. <laughs> so I like when people speak in this idea, in this way of being customer focused. In terms of being a voter, I don't really know what that means though. So I will side with her on this one, the Democratic incumbent. How best to increase voter participation? More ads on the value of voting or make it easier to vote. 
Uh, yeah, he's saying more ads through a marketing campaign to make it clear that voting is choosing how tax dollars are spent and how safe streets are and how much gas food and da da da. I don't know about that. I don't need to see political ads. I don't. I don't actually want that. Make it easier to vote. Yes. Weber takes part of the credit for universal mail-in ballots and supports other options to expand. See, I like that. I have a ballot here that I plan to mail. I don't have to worry about what my voting booth thing is or whatever. So she has, she's winning my vote just on that alone, practically. Uh, how much leeway for county election offices? She says um, she champions the Voter Choice Act, under which about half of California's 58 counties have expanded early voting and opened early voting centers. That sounds good. And he says he wants to encourage uniformity in all aspects of elections by coming up with the best practices and urging all counties to adopt them. That doesn't sound bad, but I do think I prefer her take there um who should write titles and summaries for ballot measures he says that um he would like to take this authority from the attorney general's office and give it to the secretary of state's office because it's in charge of elections and she says that it should remain with the attorney general but there needs to be better nonpartisan communication i don't know enough about that um i'd like to abstain from that question uh change the rules for recalls yeah I would say yes, as does she. Um, you know, she backs increasing the number of signatures requiring recall proponents to give a specific cause and automatically elevating the lieutenant governor if a governor's... Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, you know, these recall elections that California do, does are such a hassle. Um, he says that while his personal preference is against recalls, the rule shouldn't be changed to help elected officials stay in power. Okay, so I'm going to vote for her. You know, I think that... You know, that's a good example of where she makes sense to me as the incumbent and she's a sensible person and I see some of her actual work being done, which is nice. Controller is next. And this is an accountant and bookkeeper to oversee the payout of public funds, basically. So this is between a Republican guy called Lan He Chen and a Democrat called Malia Cohen. And... Neither of them currently have the job. Let's take the quiz. I've actually watched this debate, by the way, and I do like him more. Um, this is an Asian guy versus a black woman, by the way, for whatever that's worth. Which areas of the state budget should the controller focus on to make sure spending is effective? Public schools and healthcare, which he says, um, focus on areas with the most money, including K-12 and Medi-Cal. And she says, uh, focus on agencies with a track record of fraud or waste, including the Employment Development Department and Department of Corrections. I don't know. That one's hard. Um, I don't know enough about that stuff. Do you support a wealth tax or increases on tax rates on upper income residents? Uh, yes, says Cohen, based on property, wealth tax bond property. And he says the state has enough revenue without more taxes. You know, I, I become more and more sensitive to taxes the older I get. Um, the state is rich. We have the biggest GDP in the world after four, after four countries, including the U.S. Um, we have a lot of money. Uh, we're not spending it very well, in my opinion. Um, I am happy to tax wealth. I'm happy to have a sliding scale of taxing. Um, so I guess I will side with her there. 
you know, it, the devil's in the details there, but like definitely when you get into billionaires, but like then you do kind of scare away people. But like the California coast is so desirable for housing that you'll never not, you know, have people buying that up. Um, what should be the priority for the next controller? Be a watchdog, not a rubber stamp. That's what he says. Um, he says that we've lost trust in the state government and there's not enough transparency on spending. I agree with that. Or speak on broader policy issues, including equity and diversity. That's what she wants to do with her office. No. That's just a no for me. <laughs> so, you know, he almost has me with that one. Um, how should the controller work with the democratic power structure? Uh, he says to uh, be an independent watchdog on the legislature and the administration. That sounds good. And she says she wants to be collaborative and talk uh, to the subject of critical audits in advance. Um, I like his style more. I kind of like, I kind of, this is where I like, um, I think somebody of different uh, worldview is good in government to like kind of challenge Newsom at the top, you know, like you don't need to just have a yes person stamping away and cooperating. So with that, I'm going to vote for him. Okay, so moving on to treasurer. You know, it's like these kind of, these are not glamorous positions. I mean, they're they're highly paid. You know, they're in the, you know, this one is 175000 a year. Um, I consider that highly paid personally. A lot of you might not. But I think, you know, these aren't glamorous positions that are going to lead to um, a presidential run one day highly unlikely. These are unknown people doing high-end bureaucratic work, like looking over the money, you know, like this is treasurer. So it's like, don't be political. That's what I, I don't want your politics in this. You know what I mean? That's why like, I like him for controller more. It's like, this is not a political place to spot, speak about equity. You know what I mean? So this is like really where I think having some Republicans in higher office for for the state would be a healthy thing, a good injection of like pragmatism that's not necessarily swinging us like toward outlawing abortion. It's just like just being a little more like adult in the room, so to speak. Okay, so this one is between uh, Fiona Ma, who I have apparently already agreed with, versus... Um, Right, who's this guy? Jack Guerrero. How to make the state budget more effective. Cut spending and lower taxes. That's what he wants to do. Yeah, we can't cut spending. We need we need to spend. You know, we need to um, spend a lot more from what I can see in LA. I mean, it could be an issue of how we're spending. Um, she says to focus on housing. Um, that word is suspect. She says she wants to prioritize efficient spending on affordable housing, including programs for vets, students, and first-time homebuyers. I agree. Increase the minimum wage. She says she doesn't support raising the statewide minimum wage beyond the fifteen fifty an hour in January, but says cities should be able to increase local wages further. I, I think I agree with that. He says increasing the minimum wage would reduce and kill jobs when the state already faces a potential recession. They both say no then. Um, they both say no. I like her answer a little more, um, though I do have sympathy for his like Republican talking point of like, 
we do lose jobs when we increase the minimum wage. I don't think progressives really fully understand that. But um, machines will take over all jobs. Raising minimum wage will quicken that. Um, okay, reducing inequality with a guaranteed basic income. She supports it. Um, this has been something I've cared about for a long time. I've cared about it less more recently, but I still do like the idea a lot, especially in terms of efficiency of governance. Instead of all these programs like food stamps and social welfare checks and a check for this and that, depending on how many dependents and everything, like I do think that everybody in a wealthy society should just be given a chunk of money that covers basic needs. Everybody, like at, maybe at some age um, or maybe scaling up until adulthood or something. So she likes that idea too. He says the best ways to reduce the gap between haves and have-nots are to cut taxes. No. Maybe for the poor, take away taxes from the poor. I don't know. I doubt that's what he means. Reduce regulations for small businesses. So this guy seems like a more like run-of-the-mill Republican who I basically disagree with. Um, so I'm going to vote for her. That's Fiona Ma um, for state treasurer. You know, even though I kind of went in thinking, like, this is the perfect job for a Republican. I actually like the Democrat on that one. Attorney General. Okay, uh, the state is seeking a top prosecutor with a passion for reducing crime rates and representing the state of California. It's many, many lawsuits. This is a really good one. Um, I encourage people to watch the face-off video of these two guys. Um, I think that Nathan Hodgman is very impressive and that Rob Bonta is not. Nathan Hodgman is the Republican. Uh, he has a lot of experience on both sides uh, in courtrooms as a defendant and prosecutor, and he just comes off as a very learned, articulate guy, and I'm going to vote for him. I think Rob Bonta um, comes off as a little naive and kind of just like, a, I don't know, like a, a hack like a tool that's put in by the establishment. That's what he kind of comes across as. So I'm going to skip the vote thing on this one because I've already watched this and I know, and I don't want to just take up our time, but I'll encourage you to do your research on this if you'd like. But I'm endorsing Nathan Hotchman, who is currently general counsel and not the appointed attorney general. Okay, insurance commissioner is next. There aren't too many more of these guys, by the way. Um, okay, so the insurance commissioner is a top regulator for the insurance industry, including home, auto, and life markets. Man, this is getting esoteric. Um, yeah, I've taken this. I guess I'll take it again. Um, this is like a, a young, charming-looking guy versus like an old, crotchety-looking guy. And the young one is the Democrat. Um who I can identify with much more for sure. Top priorities besides fixing wildfire insurance. Protect communities from climate change impact is what Ricardo Lara, the younger guy, says. Or full transparency of the Department of Insurance to the public. Those are both good. I don't think you can go wrong with those ones. Uh, best path to protect privacy of motorists whose cars collect data. That's an interesting topic. Um, get an independent analysis of the situation. I mean, for sure, do that. What, how, why would you not do that? Strictly enforce state laws and regulations. Okay, so this is where Ricardo Lara comes off as a little 
ignorant to me. He says he would enforce privacy laws requiring permission from consumers and allowing only data on miles driven to be collected. And the problem with saying it like that, of just enforcing current laws, is that with technology specifically, it is the Wild West. You know, like the laws that we have around this are quite new, some nascent, and it's, you just, you can't go in thinking like that exactly because, you know, when you, when you get into a futuristic car that kind of knows your, you know, your blood alcohol content and your pulse and your even mental acuity based on you sitting in the seat, I mean, that kind of stuff can happen. There's no laws about that stuff right now. Right to privacy is cool. I, I mean, I'm, I like that stuff, but at the same time, it's kind of like, it's a fool's errand to fight that too long. Like these machines that we're on all the time know so much about us and it's just impossible to keep that cat in the bag, so to speak. So I'm just not sure about all that. That said, you know, there's plenty of opportunity for corruption with an independent analysis. Um, so that's tricky. Ideas for to keep affordable insurance for homeowners in wildfire areas. Um, flat rate statewide for basic coverage is what he the older guy says. And discounts for making homes safer is what the younger guy says. That sounds a little better to me. You know, I'm losing interest in this race, though, because it's like insurance commissioner. That is probably one that has no ill ramifications that I can imagine. I mean, I just don't know how that it almost feels like that should be an appointed position. You know, like, what do I know about this? You know what I mean? Like, what? I don't know. Why is that a political? Why is one of these guys political uh, Democrat and one Republican insurance commissioner? How is that a political office at all? I'm just kind of like confused by that. Um, then we have like an interesting one. This is member for the State Board of Equalization. I had to like research what this is. And I found an article written by the SF Chronicle that's basically like, just like, let's get rid of this full stop. Like, why do we even have a board of equalization? No other state has it. Um, the summary for the position on this site reads, do you have a passion for uniform and consistent tax administration? Does the mere thought of improperly valued private railroad cars keep you up at night? Do you enjoy explaining to people at dinner parties that, no, really, you are an elected official who represents roughly 10 million Californians? Then consider applying for one of four elected seats on the only publicly elected tax commission in the U.S. You can hear the, like, sarcasm and disdain for the position in this nonpartisan guide. And I'm going to abstain from this between Jose Altamirano and Ted Gaines because I don't know why a Democrat and Republican would fight over this job. And, um, oh, there's many districts, sorry, I'm District 3. Um, so it's between Y. Marie Manvel and Tony Vasquez. You know, I was reading Marie Manvel's website, actually. It's so funny. She's like this kind of like kooky woman who... Um, <laughs> she has on her website this kind of classic I had to dig for this um she has this classic kind of libertarian thing but not libertarian like me more like the like tax avoidant uh no government libertarian um she has this like meme on here that you've probably heard so let me get this straight 
I'm paying taxes on my wages, then paying sales tax to spend my own money, then paying income tax on money that was already taxed, then when I die, my kids pay the death tax on my money that was already taxed, and then people hate me for doing everything I can to reduce my taxes. And there's a picture with her and Jay Leno. You know, she's funny. Um, I'm not going to vote for either of these people because I kind of agree with the Chronicle that this should just be done away with. Like, I don't understand it enough. Maybe that's ignorant of me to say. I'll, uh, I welcome any scrutiny on that regard. But this is, you know, after, after being confused by seeing this on the ballot and then researching it for like 15 minutes, I've come to the conclusion that I shouldn't even care about this and that it doesn't matter to me. All right, so finally, uh, superintendents of public instruction. And here we go with possibly something that could tie back into what I was talking about earlier with education becoming political and how I kind of want to prevent that and just keep it as like, um, you know, a fact-based, you know, non-biased education for all sort of thing. The state of California is seeking a chief of schools to oversee a public education system serving more than 6 million students, K-12. Um, so let's take the quiz on this one again. This is between uh, two guys who, let's see, is one of them the, yeah, so Tony Thurmond is an incumbent who already holds the job. Your top priority. So... The challenger, Lance Christensen, says he'll first hire, his first hire will be a chief parent advocate as deputy superintendent to give parents a seat at the table. It's an interesting concept. I mean, it's almost like, how does that not exist already? But I guess the voters are supposed to be that. Um, I do think, you know, like a lot of the news that I read about education, it's a lot of parents like in absolute confusion and uproar about what's going on in these schools. And I have friends, like I have friends who like tell me, oh, um, Josie is going by they, them now and might be non-binary because her preschool teacher said so. Something like that, you know? And it's like, I don't make a big deal out of it, but it's like, yeah, our schools are becoming too ideological and indoctrinating people. And I really, really am sensitive to that. So I'm going to be conservative on this vote. I'll just tell you that now. Um, Tony Thurmond, currently the, the guy, says uh, he pledges to recruit 15,000 more teachers and 10,000 more mental health counselors to help students recover from pandemic learning gaps. That sounds well and good, but we already have like a shortage of this. Like, how are you going to do that? Like, how are you going to find 15,000 teachers and what is already a shortage of this stuff? So that's kind of pie in the sky sounding to me. I'm going to agree with Lance Christensen, even though I'm not, not totally, you know, there's always a potential for like government bloat and corruption when you add new, you know, a new chief parent advocate. Like who's to say that that person will even be good, you know, like, so I'm suspicious of that too. So I, I don't know if I like either of those. What masking rules in schools? Lance Christensen opposes any mask mandates and says the decision should be left to parents. I agree. Uh, Thurman says statewide rules early in the pandemic protected students and teachers, but now local school boards should decide. Uh, local school districts should decide. 
Um, I like how you phrased it, but I don't think local school districts should decide because a lot of those just lean too leftist and will keep making kids wear masks because they just think it's healthier, even though it's totally not healthier. It's actually harmful for kids to wear masks. And I hate seeing my neighborhood kids in masks outside playing. What the hell? Like nowadays, the only people I see in masks are kids. And it's like really sick to me. Next, how to reduce the achievement gap for students of color. Uh, Tony Thurmond says he calls for investing in more teachers of color, universal pre-kindergarten, and more mental health and other services. I don't know why you have to invest in more teachers of color. That doesn't persuade me. It doesn't matter what your teachers look like. Um, it's never mattered to me. Uh, Lance Christensen says, by allowing parents to choose their school, it will put pressure on local school districts to improve results. That's kind of like the charter system, which I, you know, the older I get, the more I appreciate it. And if I was a parent, I would want that choice as well. And I know from a lot of underprivileged and impoverished neighborhoods that they also like it. And it's like this weird division that has become political where liberals don't like it for some reason because they think it takes away from public schools. I mean, it takes good students out of public schools, but public schools need to be better. And because they're not, uh, parents should have the option for sure um i kind of like how i don't know i could go either way here um i don't know but yeah i know for sure i've watched documentaries on um, black neighborhoods advocating hard for for charter schools um so i think actually the white guy is gonna win more favor there over the black guy support the controversial math framework yes it needs more work um thurmond <laughs> yes though it needs more work so tony thurmond the current guy apparently i think this controversial math framework is like allowing black students to not take math or something so basically he says that while concerns need to be addressed He's committed to finding a proposal that eliminates racial biases. He thinks that math is biased because black kids perform worse at it. No, this is bullshit. Uh, Lance Christensen says that he calls the framework a sham and questions why the new draft won't be ready until after the election. Yeah, good question. So, yeah, okay, and then focus to tackle the teacher shortage. Christensen says he calls for reforming discipline laws to give teachers more leeway to control their classrooms. He also wants to ban collective bargaining for teachers so it's easier to reward good ones and fire bad ones. I agree. I've been a teacher. I've seen how this works in the unions in New York. Um, Tony Thurman says he's leading an effort to raise $500 million for scholarships for aspiring teachers, wants to increase pay and help find affordable housing to retain teachers. Yeah, so he's saying this in the same breath as he mentioned hiring 15,000 or 50,000 new teachers. I'm going with the conservative white guy on this um, for this position. And I, I honestly like, yeah, I'm endorsing Lance Christensen and I actually care about this one because I, I think that Tony Thurman does represent this kind of dangerous ideological thing happening in schools and i don't like it and i think dems are really it's really sad how democrats could like lose a foothold in education which is so overwhelmingly overwhelmingly dominated by democratic and progressive people 
but it's because of this woke agenda that's come out of the universities that I've been studying for a decade now. And it's at their own peril. It's like, that's what they get, quite frankly. <sighs> okay, so that's it. Those are my endorsements. Um, hope you could follow along with that. Um, there's then the state judicial stuff, and there's 15 of these, and I'm not going to do them. And I, uh, I'm i really annoyed that these are on the ballot, but I guess it's good. I don't know. But basically, it's like it reads like this. <laughs> I'll just read you how this sounds. Um, the first one, state judicial. For Chief Justice of California, vote yes or no. Shall Associate Justice of the Supreme Court Patricia Guerrero be elected to the office for the term provided by law? Yes or no? I don't know. I will Google Patricia Guerrero. In fact, that's the one I will do right now because it's the biggest one. Um, yeah, she's a California Supreme Court. Or she's an associate justice now, and she's up for Supreme Court uh, Chief Justice. Um, Ballotpedia? Let's go to that site. Um BA from Berkeley, JD from Stanford Law, good credentials. Um, I don't really know how to study a judge's CV. Um, where does it show her voting record? Is that going to be on here? I don't see it. Um, It would be nice, you know, it would be nice if there were, um, okay, campaign themes. No, I don't know. You know, I, I don't even know what I'm looking for when I'm trying to research this kind of thing, which is why it's like, you're, you're asking me to just say yes or no to a judge. I mean, unless, you know, I don't know how to do this. It's not a race between judges. I don't know what happens when you say no, what happens to the chief seat. You know, like it's, it's really, I'm kind of like flummoxed by this and I don't see how other voters are handling this. Like you're asking like a lay person off the street to decide whether or not associate justice of the Supreme Court Goodwin Liu be elected to the office for the term. I mean, uh, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to publish the podcast as is we've hit our usual hour here and I'm going to actually try and research some of these and I will put in my yeses and nos for Californians voting in the notes for this episode. And that should get updated um, at some point. You might have to refresh your um, your podcaster or the webpage or whatever to see it. But once I do my full research on the judges, the state judges, I will paste them somewhere for you to see in case you want my opinions on them. All right, guys, I hope this was worth listening to. Um, it's exhausting, isn't it? I'm going to try and, well, we're done with the ballot, you know, election day is tomorrow. So um, no more podcasts about this. So I think I might do one more political one next time before getting back to some other lifestyle or more meditative topics. So thanks for bearing with me, guys. I appreciate you being here. Um, it's very appreciated. Give me a shout. I'm always happy to engage in dialogue. I'm always happy to hear other opinions and to talk civically about our differences and hopefully also our shared goals. So until then. <laughs>